Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, Mark here, and welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Today is episode number 58, and we're talking about hiring superstar apprentices for your business. And I'm going to be joined by a very special guest, Justin Cook from Empire Flippers. And today we're going to go through how superstar apprentices can benefit your business, how they compare to regular staff, which sites to use to hire them, how to screen them, how to interview them, even how much to pay them. So if that sounds interesting, then please stay tuned. The URL for this podcast will be authorityhacker.com forward slash apprentice podcast, all one word. And if you have any questions for me or Justin, just post them in there in the comment section below. Now I'm recording this intro after we actually did the interview, but one small mistake I made several times, uh, which will become quite obvious, is I used the phrase intern in place of apprentice. Um, really, it means much and such the same thing in this context, so don't don't let that confuse you too much. But enough of me talking, uh, let's enjoy the interview. Hey, Justin, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Good, man. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Cool. And where in the world are you at the moment? You're in Vietnam, is that right? I'm in Saigon, Vietnam. I actually just went back and listened to your first episode. Don't you hate when people do that? They go back and listen to your first <laughs> oh, I went back and listened to it, and I, there was a part you were talking about conferences and how the best parts of conferences are when you're at the bar, they've had a couple of drinks, and they're just kind of talking business. They're not on stage kind of giving the fluffy stuff. Like They're like, okay, here's the real meat and potatoes. Here's where I just totally screwed up. And uh, you get the good stuff. I'm hoping. I hope, I hope you got some scotch in your hand. Man. We're gonna we're gonna get into it today. <laughs> yeah. So for anyone listening, uh, Justin and I met last year at uh, DCBKK in Bangkok, and I think you guys sponsored the opening party. Was that was that right? Yeah, buddy. We're we're known as kind of the party crowd. So yeah, pro- that, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's you have to blame for all those horrible hangovers I had that. That's week, right. I guess. That's right. <laughs> All right. So today we're going to be talking about hiring interns, which is something I've seen you guys firsthand do very successfully. But first, just in case anyone doesn't know who you are, uh, you run Empire Flippers, which is essentially like a website broker slash platform. Is that right? Yeah, you got that right. It's like a marketplace slash brokerage where we help others buy, sell and invest in websites and online businesses. Cool. And how many people work for you at the moment? So there's Joe and I. Uh, I got a business partner named Joe. We've got another six apprentices that are on our team and then we're hiring two to three more we actually got a post up about that today for customer service and then we've got i think 12 people in the philippines and we have a few contractors that are on and off we have an editor podcast editor we have a content written content editor and a few other people uh designers and stuff all right. And did you make a conscious decision to structure your company in th- in this way or did it just sort of naturally evolve as you were growing yeah, not exactly. So some of it was intentional and some of it wasn't. So, you know, we started off with an outsourcing company back in the day. So that that's kind of where we got our VA, our virtual assistant chops, mm-hmm. was hiring a bunch of Filipinos with an office there. So we were very familiar with that. So we kind of started with that and we followed the apprentice model based on the success we'd seen the tropical MBA guys have. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we thought the whole the apprentice model, which we'll get into, was ridiculous. We thought that if you're going to pay someone 1500 bucks a month or 2000 bucks a month, you're going to be getting dirt balls applying and they're going to be kind of the, the you know bottom of the basement, just dirt balls. And so we went out and met those guys a few years back and met one of their apprentices that had just showed up. And he was like this hungry young dude willing to learn, ready to work. And we were like, what? How is this guy? Why is this guy interested in it? And we realized, you know, there's an opportunity there for us to save money by hiring sharp, motivated people that are looking for an adventure for them to have an opportunity. And so we we followed their model, actually. All right. And so what was the first step you took in in order to implement that program? So we already had a bit of an audience with our podcast, our new podcast at the time, and our blog. And we talked about kind of like the lifestyle a little bit. We definitely talked about our business. And we said, look, why don't we just put a job post out there, um, the kind of job post we'd want to have, right? Where I say, look, we're going to, you're going to come out here to this crazy country in the Philippines. You know, we're going to teach you everything we know. You're going to have a seat at the table. You're going to be one of us. You're going to be on the team. We're not going to make much money to start, but we want you to grow in our company. And we're very early on. And we just put it out there and then they had to fill out, they had to create a YouTube video. It's like three to five minutes and they had to fill out a bunch of questions. No resumes, nothing like that. And, and just put it up there to see who would apply. And uh, where did you actually advertise for this position? Was it to your list or? Yeah, it was just to our email list. It was just to our own audience. That was it. We figured, especially with the first one, we figured we better have someone that has heard of us, that kind of knows of us. Later on, we realized there's a trick to it that, and this is especially true for any of your listeners that may not have an audience and they're not talking about business or whatever, and they still need or want to hire an apprentice to their business, is that why not leverage other people's lists and emails? So like I mentioned before, the Tropical MBA guys have audience that's interesting, the Digital Nomadic Academy, Cody McKibben, Sean Ogle from like Location Rebel. There's a whole bunch of these people out there that have audiences of people that are interested in in like being a, a location-independent entrepreneur or even apprentice potentially. So leveraging their lists could be helpful for you in finding that apprentice. And they're generally happy to do that because it's providing value to their audience. If they can get one of their audience members set up with this kind of apprentice path and they end up doing really well. I mean, it's a small circle, right? A couple of years from now, they can end up doing a business together. They're going to be appreciative. It just kind of works out. So there's value in them doing that. So you're saying that if someone doesn't know any of these people, you think it would it might be worth them contacting them directly and they, they might actually advertise their interim position for free. Absolutely. Of course, they're happy to do that generally. Reach out to them on Twitter, give a message. We actually have a blog post on our site where we we asked a bunch of people in a community we're part of, the Dynamite Circle, hey, does anyone want to do an apprentice? We were really impressed with uh, Jacob Poole, who runs Fire Gang Marketing. His guy is one of his early apprentices. We were impressed with them. We said, look, we're just so impressed with the model. We've had a lot of success. Do you want to hire an apprentice? Here are kind of the basic requirements. If you do this, we'll put a list of these positions up on our site. And we did that for like eight different apprentice positions. And we just recently updated it. So we're happy to do that. We're happy to share it with our list because we want other people to have the opportunity, right? Right. And wh- when you're creating these job ads, essentially, like how do you present yourself out there? Is it like, hey, look, come work for us abroad. We're this fun company, lots of potential. Or how are you framing that? Yeah. So, you know, one of the first things we say is, you know, this is the job we wish we'd had years ago. And we honestly feel that way, right? Like it's a, 
you know, if you're in the US or you're in Australia, you're in the UK and say you're in London and it's raining all the time and you're seeing these entrepreneurs that are in, well, not Budapest right now, but like in, in Chiang Mai or they're in Saigon or they're in Bangkok or Manila and you know, doing some fun, interesting things, you're like, God, I wish I could do that. So framing it in a way to where like, this is your opportunity to actually do that is interesting. So we definitely, there's that thread throughout the kind of post, but we don't want them to think, oh, this is a way for me to fund my travels. I had someone mention that to me the other day. I, I want to be able to fund my travels. No, 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 no. We're building a business. So you know, we make it clear that it is a, you are going to be working. It is a position. Yes, you get to visit cool locations and we're going to do some amazing stuff, but you're going to be working a lot of the time. So it's not laptop on the beach, you know, sipping Mai Tais all day. Right, right. Okay. And what are you trying to screen for at that initial phase when people are first applying? I mean, you said before you, you made them do a YouTube video. What, what are you looking for when you're comparing those? The truth is we're screening for donkeys, man. So I want donkeys not to apply or I want them to screw up in their application. So I want them to not include their YouTube video. I want them to, you know, email our support staff their resume, right? I, I want that. I'll never see it. I'll never have to deal with it. So like it just makes it really, really easy to sort them out. So it's kind of like a funnel. So the post itself is top of funnel. I want to spend the least amount of time at the top of the funnel because that's the biggest waste of my time. As they kind of filter themselves out by not following directions, that funnel gets tighter and tighter and gets to the people that I do want to talk to and that are qualified and that are, are worthwhile. I mean, worthwhile for this position. They're, I, <laughs> they're probably yeah. worthwhile aside from that, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good point. Actually, I picked up this this funnel concept of hiring from I think it was Noah Kagan uh, released a product in this many years ago, and something we've done a lot and had a lot of success with as well. We found that just doing little things like send your resume as a PDF, or if we're asking them to send send us screenshots of something, we would ask to do it in a specific way, like as a JPEG, and if someone sent it mm. as a PNG, like looking for yep. these kind of ways to discount people people early. I think that's uh, that's a really good, really good. Yeah, tip what, right what they call those carrots, or no, they call them. Um I forget. There's a word for it. And uh, you know, you can use those on things like Upwork as well. Yeah. The, that can be helpful in, in weeding them out. It's gotten to the point where like a lot of the guides for the people that are looking to work on Upwork mention that. So you might want to have two. Yeah, <laughs> it gets, I, I've, gets seen, a crazy. I, I've seen that. Like most Upwork uh, job ads these days have you have to mention a certain phrase so that they know you've actually read it or something. But all the guides yeah. teach you about that. That's quite funny. Okay, so then. What happens once you've sort of weeded out the donkeys, as you put it? So we're not talking about the first time we do this because I think we've learned a bit since then. I'll just tell like what we're doing today. Actually, t tell us about the first time you did this. I'm quite curious now. Yeah. So, okay. So the first time we did it, we got it down to, and, and so after, yeah, after we got all their information, they're submitting a bunch of stuff through a Google form and it goes into a Google spreadsheet, right? Mm -hmm. And so we can kind of just look at them person by person. And we're grading them based on their answers to specific questions for the job. So I think with that first one, we were actually looking for someone that had some technical expertise. And so we were kind of judging them based on the questions we asked them and their answers. So we knocked some of them out. We then graded them based on a few things, things like fit in terms of skill sets, like whether we thought their skills were fit. And we gave them like a one to 10 mm -hmm. based on whether we thought they were coachable. So do they seem like kind of a, like a lone wolf or like, like they, they don't really want to take direction and we grade them on that. We graded them on uh, fit. Actually, 
we actually did saw a lot of those on the interview. So like fit, whether we thought they're a good fit for the company, whether they're coachable was after the interview. Sorry. But we did grade them on some of the stuff based on, on their answers initially. And then we set them up for an interview. And we only did one interview the first round. Now we do two rounds of interviews. But we do an interview. I think it was maybe 30 minutes, 20, 30 minutes each. Now we do like a five, five to 10 minute interview. And then we'll do another 20 to 30 minute interview as a follow up. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did a few interviews and and one of the mistakes we made the first time around is we ended up with like three good, solid candidates, two that were outstanding and we just hired one and we didn't know how well it would work or whether it would work at all. Mm -hmm. So we didn't want to overhire. We were just, we felt like we were just testing the waters, but we knew we had two, at least two, maybe three just outstanding candidates and we only went with one and we wouldn't make that mistake today. We would hire at least two out of that bunch. And, and the second guy, by the way, that time went off to work with Tim Conley over at Foolish Adventure and then ended up like basically being, becoming a COO for my buddy's company and running it. So yeah, he did really, really well for himself. Awesome. So how has that process evolved then over the years? We, we can define it better. So in the initial submission, obviously, we're looking to weed out donkeys, but we're also looking for kind of fit for the position. We still don't require CVs. I don't really care where you went to college or for how long. Um, I care more about your fit for the position, your experience. We will check references now, especially when uh, towards the end of the process. We didn't do that early on, which probably wasn't so good. We do the second. We do the two interviews. So the first one is just a quick, you know, five to ten minutes on Skype can I work with this person? Like, does it seem like a person I could work with? Are they with it? I mean, are they, would they be a good fit? It's just kind of like just judging them really quick. And then, you know, we can weed out a few more and then we get down to it. And now when we get down to like, if we have, let's say 40 people apply, when we get down to the final four to six, they're pretty good. I mean, they're pretty good. So then we do final interviews. If we're looking for one, we might do like four to six interviews. If we're looking for two or three, we might do eight to 12. And then we have to like re- make a decision. And so we'll we'll look at our previous notes on their fit, on their skill sets, on their experience, and then make a decision based on that. And, and we don't have a set thing. So it's not like I'm only hiring one. I don't care. The second person's great, but we're not hiring them. No, we'll pick up a second or third now if they're great. Right. When people are applying for this, are they aware of like what they're going to be doing on a day by day basis? I, I mean, I don't imagine too many of these interns have experience in, in your specific industry. I guess it's more you're looking for people who have like the, the general, generally smart people who are willing to are able to adapt. But like, yeah, especially starting off, I want smart, capable people. And I'll take that over almost anything else. Like that's what you want early on. Now, we want some skills. So like we have a customer service position, a post up right now for it, that we're going to want to know that your customer service experience. Now, we're going to teach you our business and our industry, right? And there's a lot of things. It's very, like there's not a lot of people out there doing what we're doing. So like you have to learn the business, of course. But I want you to have some innate customer service skills, ability to deal with you know customers and, and uh, tougher situations. And so I, I want to, in the interview and in the questions, ask you about some of your experiences there and see what your answers are. Right. And you also mentioned that you you know you don't care where someone went to college. Like, is someone going to college at all a big deal, or do you no. also accept people who don't? Not, it doesn't matter to me. I, I want to know kind of what their experiences are. Like, what have they done up until this point to prepare themselves to work for us? Right. And that's, that sounds very, uh, 
very self-centered, but I don't care. I mean, they're going to be working for us, uh, potentially. I want to know what they've actually done, what they've accomplished, right? So I'm looking more at accomplishments rather than education. And I've had people try to oversell their education, right? And it's like, well, what have you done? Well, nothing, but I did go to this amazing school and I was involved in these clubs. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. Right. So basically where they're not able to demonstrate success in your line of business, you're looking for them to demonstrate success in other areas of their lives so that, you know, they're they're hungry. They're a, you know, success achieving person. Is that right? That's right. Okay, great. And how transparent are you with the sort of remuneration salary? Like because this is an internship position, you know, you're not paying them a fortune to, to do this, I presume. But I mean, do you list that in the job ad or is that something you share with them later? Like, how do you structure that? So, yeah, I'll answer your question. We mention it in the ad itself. Some people don't. Uh, We have not, I think, at a couple of points before. But I just thought it was a little... I didn't like it because it's not a ton of money. I think now it's it's 2000 bucks a month. I think the first time it was like a thousand or fifteen hundred bucks a month plus we pay your rent and food or something like that. I, but now it's like two grand. We don't. Um, so it's not a ton of money, but you're also going to be in uh, this new one is in Saigon. So you're in Southeast Asia, so it's cheaper. Uh, so we do mention it up front and we do mention that after the six month period that you de- we, we definitely want you to turn into a full time team member and that your pay goes up considerably. And for this position, customer service, like we said, like I think 40 to 60 a year is totally reasonable for the salespeople. We're saying I think 80 to 120 a year, which is reasonable. Yeah, at some point after the six months, but they get an immediate bump because they they get added to our profit share or our compensation package after six months. I should mention that I think an internship is the wrong way to put it. That implies, at least in my mind, that it's kind of a short-term post-college gig, right, that you do for some period of time. Sometimes they're paid, sometimes they're unpaid, but it's just kind of like you're going to make some extra money, learn some skills, and then go do something else. That's not what we're looking for. And that's one of the reasons we call it an apprenticeship is we want to bring people on and give them like full behind the scenes look at our actual business. So when we do our like our meetups and we're doing strategy meetings, they have a seat at the table, right? They get to see what's going on inside of our business. We talk very openly about where we're at, where we're going, and we want them to see not just what they're working on, but like you know, the other areas of growth in our business and the other things people are doing and, and working on and struggling with. So it's more than just an internship in my mind. And that's, that's one of the reasons that we, I know labels are labels, but I think they are important. And it's one of the reasons we call an apprenticeship. And eventually we don't want people that are going to come on for six months or a year. We did the napkin math on this. And our estimate is that it takes about a year to make our money back. And by money, I mean our time too and our efforts, right? And right. kind of getting them at speed. I mean, it takes a while and takes effort and energy on my part, on Joe's part, and on the rest of our team. So it takes about a year to get paid back. We break even in a year, maybe nine months to a year. So we need them to stick with us beyond that to get an ROI on that hire, right? So we really want it to be them to be with us for years. That makes the most sense. Cool. And uh, after you've made the hiring decision, you're like, okay, we want this guy. Uh, you fly them out physically to Vietnam, is that right? So normally we have them pay for their own flight. Okay. So they have to pay for the flight. They have to book it. And there's a reason for that too. We don't want to be buying them flights and have them – like there's a commitment level. If they buy the flight, they're committing to it. In one instance, there's one time where we paid the money and had the guy pay us back. But normally we have them buy their own flight. Okay. And what does their first day or their first week look like when they start working for you? 
I think early on they were super freaked out because we hadn't done a lot of this and there wasn't a great like there wasn't a history. There's they weren't even a lot of people doing it, right? The tropical NBA guys, but not a ton of others. So we're flying them out to this crazy foreign country that's foreign. Maybe they've never been to Asia or maybe never outside of their home country. And to get off the plane is a freaky thing, right? So they're like, I don't know what that if they these these guys turn out to like try to kidnap me or something, I'm gonna hop back on a plane. It must have been scary. Now the guys I think know a little bit better kind of what they're in for because we've you know a lot of people do it and we've talked about it. But yeah, so the first day, the first week even is not all that structured. It's mostly just kind of you know, like the guys that come out here, they're probably going to come this next time. They're going to come probably end of March, like last week of March is the idea. And then we have our whole management team flying in first of April. So I think whatever that Monday is, I think it's like the second of April, third of April, we're going to actually start on that date. So when they fly in that first week, they're just going to be hanging out. Like we might get them set up with email. We might get them set up with a few things, but really they're going to spend a week just kind of hanging out in Saigon with us, getting a feel for it eating some lunch, like just literally just hanging out a bit and getting to know us socially. And, and do you um, help them sort of like, do you arrange apartments for them or is, is it just like you're on your own? It depends. So some of the guys we've hired, like uh, have been traveling and been in Southeast Asia before and some of them haven't. So for the ones that are just kind of experienced with it and, you know, they roll up in, in Chiang Mai, they know exactly where to go or they're in Saigon, they go, I'm going to 18A or whatever. They, they kind of know what they're doing. We don't worry about them that much. But we do a lot more handholding for the people that are brand new and we'll generally kind of get them set up, give them a place, pay for their hotel for a week when they first get here uh, until they can get a place, that kind of thing. So we, we're pretty generous in trying to – and both with our time and just getting them comfy. Uh, we don't want them especially – and this is important for I think your listeners if they're thinking about heading this route. When we first started – and I thought this was great actually – I would have them come out and stay at my house. I had a, a nice big house in, in the Philippines and I'd made service and everything. So we'd have them stay with me in one of the extra bedrooms and we told them, you don't have to pay any rent, you don't have to pay for any food, we have made service, we have everything taken care of for you. It's super easy and what's great about that is they're not, they don't have to shop for an apartment or something in like a foreign country. They don't know what they're doing there, they don't you know, know how to get it, they don't know how to get anything they need. That, that stuff's all taken care of for you. All we want you to do is learn and work, right? And have fun. So right. like learn, work, and have fun. That was great when we were starting out and had that. Now I travel quite a bit, so it's more difficult to to do that. And, and we don't do that as much anymore. But we do make sure they're close and in the same city with us for a while. And how critical is it for them to be there in person with you and for how long? Absolutely critical. I, we wouldn't do an apprenticeship where they didn't come out. Now, we'll hire contractors mm -hmm. that don't necessarily need to come out and stay with us. But for any apprentice, they have to come out. For how long? I'd say, well, Joe just went through a thing. Uh, we were with the sales guys. We had three new sales guys, and they came on board in uh, last October, November. And uh, they were with us in Chiang Mai for a month. Went down with Joe to Manila for a couple of months, and just now some of them are starting to kind of go off on their own. So three months or so for me, and that's kind of Joe's crew. For me, I like a good six months, and ultimately I like to check in with them at least every couple of months. So like you know, a lot of times you know they're relatively close in Southeast Asia. So if someone's in Bangkok and we're like, hey, let's get together in two weeks and work on this project, they'll fly out to Saigon and we'll spend two weeks working together. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think it's absolutely critical, though, that people 
do work for you in, in person? And would you ever take an intern that, that was in Australia or like the other side of the world? So we've heavily discussed that. And, you know, because the question is, like, are we missing out on good applicants because they're not willing to go on this adventure? Right. Yeah. They're not willing to move halfway around the world for at least six months or whatever. Like, are we missing out on people? And the answer is yes. And we're definitely missing out on some people. But I think it's also like and we're realizing this now. We didn't set out with this intention, but we have a culture to our company, mm-hmm. which does involve travel, which does involve Southeast Asia to some degree. I mean, we're, a lot of us are out here most of the time. So not wanting to make that leap may mean that you're not a great fit for a company. So we've gone back and forth on whether we would. I think we're probably 80, 90 percent no, meaning we wouldn't hire an apprentice that wasn't willing to come out here for at least six months and work with us. Right. What kind of tasks are these people doing in their in their first month and how are you training them at that? Pretty low level. So I think uh, Greg and Mike Swigunski came out and they're on the marketing team. One's a content manager and one's like a sales marketing liaison. We had some formalized training for them, meaning we had uh, Google presentations to give them based on our sales process and operations and everything. But we gave them some pretty low level tasks to start off with. I think for Mike, he was going through our HubSpot email list and cleaning up some data. So like bad data, getting rid of that and just searching through HubSpot to get rid of that. I think for Greg, it was coming up with, he was our content manager. So having him come up with some outlines for content he wanted to write and reviewing them with me. So just an outline, give me an outline of kind of your main point, who the target market is, what you want to say, and kind of the five or six bullet points you want to address. And then we'll go over whether I think we should say that, you know, any changes I want made, whether I think it's a good piece of content to target or not, that kind of thing. So with Greg, I really wanted him to get a feel for our voice and like kind of our beliefs, kind of our where we're coming from with business so that he's able to write and publish content and not publish content that, that isn't a fit for that. Right. So just to clarify, then, it's kind of like low level ish tasks, something which you probably would traditionally outsource as, as like yep. a, uh, to a Filipino team or whatever is what you give yep. them to start with just so they, they understand the business. But I, 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 what, what, I one thing I'll add to that is, is we have to be really careful to not give them. It's easy to give them bullshit tasks mm-hmm. or like tasks that just aren't valuable that you may be doing or that just you've kind of it's like legacy stuff in your company mm-hmm. that you just kind of keep doing but like isn't you don't know the value of and it's important to not give them the bullshit. So don't give them the crappy tasks that aren't valuable because now you're just shifting crappy work to that and not crappy non-valuable work to someone else and it'll be harder for you to clean up later. It's easier for you to stop it then rather than pass on. So you want to pass on tasks, maybe low-level tasks, but they have to be important and they have to be valuable to you. Yeah. And you also mentioned that you involve them in sort of strategy meetings and and the sort of the direction of the company from fairly early on. And I know you guys are quite open with like your numbers and, and that kind of stuff. How, how successful have you found that approach? Great. So we had a strategy was it, meeting. Was, sorry, was it, was it deliberate <coughs> you did that for the interns or was that just your, that was just your sort of general company ethos beforehand? We've been doing that for several years now. So we were doing it even before. We do this quarterly strategy meeting. That's not every quarter. Sometimes we do it like three times a year. But mostly quarterly meeting where we talk about strategy. And we have a process for that where we look at our five-year plan, 
where do we want to be? Like kind of the dreamy stuff, right? And that doesn't change very often. Maybe every once in a while we'll adjust a little bit. But like the five-year plan, where are we going to be? What's our annual goal for that year? And then what did we do last quarter? Did we hit our goals? Did we not hit our goals? And what are we doing this next quarter to meet our annual goals? So we just kind of work it back. Five-year plan. What's our annual goal to get to that five-year plan? What did we do last quarter based on our goals previously? And what are we going to do this next quarter to hit our annual goals? How often have you had an apprentice, sorry, I keep calling them interns, an apprentice give you some like awesome idea which you've implemented in that in such a meeting that's really like transformed your company? Not much. I'm not their first one anyway. So so the one we have coming up in April, it'll be, you know, we're hiring cu- some customer service guys that they'll come out like into March. So maybe April, mid-April, we do a strategy meeting. So it will be three weeks into their kind of time with us and we'll be doing this kind of strategy meeting, which they'll be like just kind of like soaking it up. Mm-hmm. But it gives them a good feel for because we argue and debate in those too, right? So there's and not with ego, but like to the benefit of the company. And, and Joe and I will get into it sometimes, you know, Joe and Greg will get into it and we'll get into these kind of arguments about you know, what our goals should be. And so they'll get to see how we argue, how we work through problems, mm-hmm. right? I think all of that is super valuable in addition to knowing kind of what our goals are and making sure everyone's on the same path to hit those goals. Like seeing how we interact, I think is really valuable. So no, the first time they see that, I don't think it's very valuable. I, I don't think that they add any value to those meetings until maybe the second or third round when they're a part of it. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting you mentioned that because, I mean, Gail, my business partner, we also sort of get into it, as you say, quite a lot. But it's more from a sort of data, logical, what's the best decision for the yeah. business point of view. People are always fascinated when they, they experience that for, firsthand. And quite often they sort of think, oh, why are they arguing so much? But then have you recorded funny. those? We haven't, actually. But it's funny because we, we always come together like about an hour or so after we start and it just like we we figure out the solution together and we're both absolutely on on board with it yeah we had one we were in uh we were in phuket or no we were in yeah i think it was phuket and we'd been going at it like all day and uh going through stuff and everyone kind of hit a wall right like we were all kind of working through this stuff and like we thought we were somewhere and then we just everyone hit a wall so we took like an hour hour and a half off and people could nap or they could just chill or shower whatever they want to do and then, like, I think Ms. Mike and I were talking and we kind of had some breakthrough. We were like, oh, we're being so silly about this. Like, we just need to back it down to, and it was like metrics on, on we were just talking about how many we need to sell to hit our goals. And then we we're talking about how many submissions we need and whatever. But we just started, like, breaking down the metrics and we we're like, oh, I think we got this. And we, when we got everyone back together, we were like, you know, we were hungry again because we were back on track. So those things like that are pretty fun, actually. Yeah. So I wanted to ask as well, how long after hiring an apprentice, A, do they uh, end up going into sort of more permanent full-time position? And uh, or what do you estimate the, the saving is on hiring someone's apprentice, training them up versus hiring a, an already qualified person just to do that role anyway? That's a really good question. And I don't know. So I, I'll, I'll preface it with that. I know that what we found is, is that if we hire apprentices and right after we bring them to our, our manager meetups, we get our management team together about three times a year and we get together for like 
three to five weeks Mm -hmm. and we do it in different locations. So if we're bringing on apprentices right before that, it seems like they get up to speed much faster. The reason is we're all in one place. We're all working together and it's easy for them to get training and for them to ask questions and for them to start integrating in. So it may take only, you know, two to three months for them to start being valuable. Whereas before it might take four to six months if we didn't bring them on at that time. So we time it right now. And I think that's better in terms of should we hire someone that's already qualified, pay them more instead of saving the money early on. That's a good question. I don't know. I think that I'm not sure. I'm not sure about this, but I think that our ethos and our culture is somewhat based around taking your lumps early on. Mm -hmm. So having everyone come out and kind of go through the apprenticeship model where you're low man on totem pole and you know, you've got to deal with that I think is valuable. I'm not, I think as we grow, that may change, but it's been valuable up until this point. So we'll, we'll see in the future, but I mean, something I noticed, I I met most of your apprentices who were at DCBKK, everyone seems to like really love your company. I not just love your company, but really love your company or seem really bought into it. So I don't know. I think there might be a kind of longer term, they're more attached to you or they're going to be more loyal or, or, or something like that kind of going on as well. I think so. We, we do the manager meetups. We also do some kind of really fun stuff, right? And mm. I'm not saying that we're buying their loyalty, but we're buying their loyalty. No, we're, we're, I mean, we, we do some really fun stuff. So we're doing like we're renting a yacht or we're you know chilling in this crazy villa or we rent out the penthouse and Phuket or whatever. And we do this kind of stuff that they might not do on their own, but like with a company budget and our team together, like it's worth it to us. Mm-hmm. Our accountant argues with us about that, but we think it's <laughs> worth it. And so we do this kind of really fun stuff that they might not do otherwise. And I think also that that most of the people on our team, like one of the reasons we don't hire or when we started, we didn't hire more than one person. In addition to the other reasons I mentioned was that we didn't want to hire a bunch of people and have them determine the culture or kind of the direction of the company with how we are. Now, if we take two or three people they kind of integrate into what we've already built and the team we already have rather than them kind of pulling us in a new direction. Um, that's a so really that's- interesting point, actually. I never even never even thought of that. We It's something we're trying to do is hire quite a few people at the moment, but yeah. I guess that probably has pretty big implications if you bring in a big batch of people like that. I think oh, it's yeah. going to be, be harder to, to get them all on the same page. Now, you might just, like, if you can direct it a bit and you end up with something that's good, then you grew a lot faster than you would have otherwise. So that's good. But it is, I think it's just a little more risky, right? Right, right. And something which I wanted to ask, so a lot of people who run online businesses, I mean, depending on the business model you you take, there tends not to be very high barriers to entry for someone new to come and, you know, steal your business model or your clients or your idea or something like that. Do you guys consciously protect yourself against that in, in any way or are you worried about it or do you sort of mitigate that through having a great relationship and structure and culture? So, you know, years and years ago, we were a little worried about that. We were especially worried about like having people have access to, you know, our GoDaddy account or like a bunch of other things, right? How do you share access and, and things mm-hmm. like LastPass or whatever? But we were worried about things like that. We were worried about a little bit about if we give all the secret sauce away, 
what's to keep someone from just going and copying it, mm-hmm. right? Like, why can't they just copy? And I'm sure people building authority sites are definitely in that position. And I think uh, we loosened up over time and realized that if we want to grow, we're going to have to bring people in that have, like, it's beneficial to their job to know other parts of the company. So I can't just Chinese wall and segment it all out and say, you only have this bit of mind share. This is all I'm giving you. And I see some of the SEOs do that. I know I have a buddy that does that right now still, and he's got a pretty larger business and he's it's becoming a challenge for him to do that. What we found is that, and by the way, initially we we thought our apprentices would be just kind of interns. They would come with us, you know, six months and or maybe a year, and then they would kind of go build their own business and we would wish them well. And we realized that's not true. A lot of them want to stay with us. So that's good. How can we keep them with us? And then for the guys that do eventually want to go off and kind of do their own thing. So let's say that you bring out someone to help build authority sites with you and they're there with you for a year, year and a half, two years, and things are all good. But, you know, they eventually say to you and you have an open relationship, meaning they can come and just talk to you about this. And they're like, look, I think I think I want to build sites for myself. Mm-hmm. Right? One of the things you can do is say, look, you know, I'd love to have you start doing that. Why don't we set you up? I'll be in an advisory role and they can do it under your brand or as part of like some tests or strategies that you guys can then report about on Authority Hacker. So you still own a piece of that business. They then have a piece of the business as well. So they have some ownership, but they still are under the wing or under the brand of Authority Hacker, which benefits you as well. So I think offering those kind of opportunities is great. We, we did that recently. So we have a guy named Mike Vrankovic, right? And he was a part of our sales team for quite a while, for a number of years now. And, you know, when he came on, he wanted to be, he really liked our investor program. He liked what we were talking about there. He comes from a financial background. He always wanted to be a part of that. So he was a part of it when we, we started off. And now he's like, look, I think I can run this. I want to, I want some more autonomy. And we said, look, let's run with that. So he's now a managing partner of an investment arm that we're setting up for FBA businesses where he's actually running it. Joe and I are more in an advisory role with that business and we're not directly running it. Definitely not the day to day or week to week. And it gives him the kind of freedom and flexibility to spread his wings and, you know, take ownership of something that that is that succeeds or fails on him, but also still have kind of the mentorship and the you know advisory capacity of us and someone to bounce ideas off of. Right. And so I think there's ways to, to structure that for them to kind of leave the nest and still be a part of your community as a whole. And when you're structuring that, is that like an equity based partnership in a separate company or what's the, the technical way you divide that up? It can be. It is in our case with Mike. So it is an equity split. And we're going to take equal shares, an equity of a larger fund, which is probably more, it gets into more than, we're still working that out. (laughs) But like, it it will be an equity split, but it, it doesn't necessarily have to. It could be commission-based or it could be a profit share. So it could be like dividends to the managing partner or your old apprentice could take, you know, kind of commission-based approach, maybe give them a really small base salary and give them some upside on the profits or the profits they grow above and beyond where it's at now. So you do things like that. It doesn't have to be equity. Although if they want ownership, then I think that some equity has to would have to go with that. Yeah, I remember uh, you mentioned earlier Jake from Firebrand, his uh, presentation. He's he's had a lot of success with hiring interns as well, or apprentices. Oh, you were there. Yeah, was, yeah, I you were there. there. Yeah. Theirs was, by the way, but it was him and Corey, right? They were just fantastic. And one thing I learned from them, which we hadn't done up until that point, is we hadn't really thought of about like third-party education, mm-hmm. right? Like how can we help them 
with mentorship that's outside of Joe and I? How can we help them kind of like really get better in their space? So we affiliate marketer, I think that's the right name. We just signed up for courses for our marketing guys. They're going through that right now. And we've been talking to the guys about potential mentorship. So we got that from Jake and, and Corey, which I thought was great. It was helpful to us. Yeah, I took notes on some, Something Jake said was, I forget the exact terminology, but it was like bypass the difficult years of entrepreneurship. The years at the start where you're just trying to like figure out what works, what doesn't, and you don't really know anyone. And yeah, you as a successful entrepreneur can kind of tell them, okay, just do this, do this, don't do this, and here, meet these people. Uh, that, yeah, if you want to like... Uh, if you I mean, want to be a marketer, let, let's say that you love marketing and you can either start writing for nobody, right? Start with your blog. No one's reading it and, and, and head that way. Or you can kind of piggyback on the brand we've built and start testing out things through an, a, a baked in audience, yeah. right? So just some of the marketing parts. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And you're going to have a, just a bigger impact, right? So the changes you make are just more important. They're going to mean a lot more to the bottom line. There's a lot more dollars being messed with to, to, test things. So yeah, it's, it's, I think it's just more interesting than starting off with nothing. I actually just did a podcast, you know, uh, uh, Simon from lead pages. Yep. Yep. So yeah, one of the early partners in lead pages and he left the company is starting over from scratch. And in talking to him, I was like, you know, starting over from scratch with nothing sounds horrible. Like I'd like having cash. I like having teams. I like having people like that's just it's a more interesting position for me. So I can't imagine wanting to start over from scratch. That doesn't sound great. I think as well from a hiring person's or hiring manager's perspective, it doesn't cost you anything to give this kind of guidance and connections and introductions and help apprentices to avoid these kind of mistakes. You're not you know, it doesn't add anything else to their their monthly costs. So Yeah, it, uh, it can cost you if they're bad. So like like if you this we haven't run into this, but this would be concerning to me. If we do, I'll tell you how it goes. But if we hired someone that was particularly bad or just kind of a bad representation of our brand and they were asking for introductions and it just was kind of like I wasn't sure which way it was going to go, I might be a little hesitant to do that. But luckily, we haven't had that problem. Just one other thing that came out of that. Do you guys have any like non-work training stuff that you do with them? So, I mean, do you like pay for their Audible subscription or, you know, buy them books, uh, not necessarily related to your business, but just to improve them as a person? Or, or do you guys do any anything like that? No, but I did. The guys at, at the DC event, they were talking about the mentorship and courses in terms of like improving them, just themselves, not necessarily for business. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting. So we're open to that. We told our guys we'd be open. If they brought it to us, we'd, we'd take a look. So we're, before, we hadn't even thought of it before. And then Jake and, and Corey brought it up and we're open to it, but we haven't really done anything there. I mean, we do a lot of travel and we do tell the guys in terms of like taking potential customers out or actual customers like they'll do that pretty regularly for like steak dinners and stuff mm-hmm. but but not not exactly what you're asking so yeah no audible subscriptions no life coaches or anything yet cool as someone who's been doing this for a while and has like a what i would say a really good relationship and a really open relationship with your apprentices what kind of feedback are they giving you about what they want to see, what you should change, what you should implement, and and which of those things have you implemented over the years? They're not strong at doing that early on. I think because they're just kind of like getting a sense of themselves. It also depends on kind of their confidence level. And almost Mm -hmm. invariably, everyone that comes out, their confidence level is much lower than it should be 
when they start, much lower than it needs to be for them to be effective, mm-hmm. right? So they are just worried that they're not good enough or that they're, you know, whether they're going to hack it or they're going to make it. And so there's some like working through that to let them know, look, you know, and assuming that they are good enough, <laughs> letting them know, look, you're good enough. This is going to work. Here's what we need you to do. And then after a while, there starts to, maybe there's some pushback. So there's like a little bit of battle. Like, for example, Greg and I, uh, as the content manager for us, have some creative struggles, right? Like, I'll say, look, I think you should say it this way, and he wants to say it his way, and like, look, but you're representing our brand, right? And you have to do it this way, and here's why, right? And so we have some of those struggles, and and I think that's interesting. In terms of, like, ideas we've implemented, I'd say the structure for our new investor program is heavily coming from Mike. So he's put together a lot of that, and that's through his conversations with other people. A lot of our team will get feedback from our customers and bring that back to the table. And sometimes it gets tossed because we say, oh, you know, someone doesn't like our deposit process. Let's say, oh, sorry, working as intended. Whereas they, they don't like something else, and we didn't realize it was a problem, we're able to fix it. So the more they talk to our actual customers and get feedback from them. And, and, you know, this is a weird world we live in. Like a good portion of our sellers are, you know, location independent people, right? Mm-hmm. It's entrepreneurs in Chiang Mai or Saigon or wherever, Bali. And so our guys are flying around pretty often and they're hanging out with these people. They're, you know, getting, having you know, a couple too many beers at yeah. the bar and talking and that's how they do business. Right. So, we get feedback, like real feedback from them in real situations, and we apply that in meetings when appropriate. Cool. And if you were to start from scratch, like let's say you had a new company tomorrow and you wanted to hire hire an apprentice, what sort of steps would you take? Like you've never done this before. You didn't have a sort of brand or a reputation. What steps would you take to get this going? Yeah. So if you have, well, hopefully you already have a company. If you're thinking about starting a company, hiring an apprentice isn't a good idea because you're not going to have much for them to do. And and you're definitely not going to hand, like you're not going to be able to hand them over things that are beneficial and, and profitable because you don't have anything beneficial and profitable yet. But let's assume that you've already got it, the business rolling in, there's some money coming in and you want to hire an apprentice. I mean, you could do it as simply as, and I think what I would do if I had zero audience too, let's say, because that I think is somewhat applicable. I'd probably put up a medium post that linked to a, a form and, and I'll give you, you can use a link to our latest post so you can get an ideal or a feel for the format, but I would write a post on medium. I'd link to a Google form for people to fill out, do the YouTube video, same as we do now. And then I would start reaching out to people that are in the kind of digital nomad space, the, 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 um, a location independent space. And that would be the Tropical MBA guys, Cody McKibben, Digital Nomad Academy, Sean Ogle. But there's a bunch of people in that space, maybe some YouTubers uh, that are doing kind of the Chiang Mai stuff and see if they would promote to their audience, see if they'd mention their audience's position that I've since put up and explain it to them. And if I can't, if I don't have connections to those people or they're not willing to do it, try to maybe ping my connections to get me an introduction to them. But a lot of times, I mean, those guys are pretty open to it and they support the movement. So if you have, like, it's not like you don't have to pay them. Like they're not looking for money. They, they're looking for something valuable they can share with their audience and give them an opportunity to do the shit that they love. So it's, it's kind of like it's win-win there, really. Awesome. So listen, I think I've taken up about enough of your time today. It's gone on for quite a while, but you've been really kind uh, enough to come on the show and share these tips. It's really like awesome stuff. I've personally learned a lot from this. I know 
our audience will too. So I think it's only fair I give you a bit of a chance to tell our audience a bit about Empire Flippers and why it might be worth them checking out your your website. Yeah, man. I, to be honest with you, we, we talked about this via email or whatever. It's great to talk about something other than <laughs> just buying and selling websites and online business. I do those all the time. So talking about staff and our team, which I think is a great competitive advantage for us is, is really fun. I mean, obviously, if anyone wants to check out kind of what we do, you know, go to empireflippers.com, reach out to me on Twitter at empireflippers, shoot me a message. Um, we've got a post. I'll give you a link to it for the content. Sorry, not the content, the customer service position that's up right now. It's available until we're taking applications until February 17th. But even beyond that, it'll still be up. So if any of your audience is thinking about hiring an apprenticeship and they want kind of a model, they want some ideas, please don't copy it exactly. That'd just be weird. But yeah, use it as a model. Feel free to take some of the points that we mentioned if you think it, if it helps you. Awesome. And actually, one final question I have for you, not about apprentices, but about website yeah. sales. What are your mm-hmm. predictions for website valuations in 2017? Do you think we're going to move like the multiples going to go up, down, stay the same? Uh, well, we've seen them go up through us. Um, but it's all kind of specific to like if you look at FBA businesses and you're talking about authority websites in particular or just across the, the board. Authority sites in particular. All right. So I think authority sites took, well, all kind of like AdSense affiliate type sites, Amazon affiliate type sites took a hit a couple of years ago with all the crazy Google changes. And so last year they started to come back. So we saw multiples go up. I would imagine those would continue. I think the buy side is really starting to kick in. So you're getting more and more people that are interested in potentially buying a site, potentially buying online businesses or even building portfolios. There's some interesting people doing like investment funds, which we're looking to be a part of, but they're doing investment funds and buying multiple websites. They're buying a $1.2 million deal, $600,000 deal, and they're trying to wrap it all up under a, a company. So I think that multiples are likely to go up and continue going up. So I think there's, there's a wonder, wonderful opportunity in the near future. I think valuations are going to continue to go up. So you know that raises the question, should you sell now or should you sell later. If you can hold off, I think it's going to continue to get better and better. If you have a better use for that money, meaning maybe another business or something, and you think you'll you'll be able to do better with it cash in hand and an investment now, then you should probably do that. Awesome. All right, let's wrap it up there, Justin. Empireflippers.com is the URL once again. Thanks again for coming on the show. It's great to catch up again and uh, great to hear your advice. Thanks, everyone, for listening today. We're back next week with our regular schedule. So every Monday you can uh, hear new episodes. That's authorityhacker.com forward slash podcasts. Okay, thanks again, Justin. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.